Hi, this is Ben Lola, Back to the Bible Canada. On today's program, we begin week three of our current series in the book of Ruth with Dr. John Newfeld. So let's turn together to Ruth chapter 3, verses 11 to 18, as we listen to a message entitled, Cultivating Fertile Soil Where Love Will Grow. My wife and I have now been married for over 35 years, but I still have memories of our wedding day. When I first saw her in her wedding dress, all the jokes I had about eloping, well, they just evaporated. She was absolutely stunning. I thought about Song of Solomon 4 verse 9. You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You've captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes. Well, and now so many years have passed, and children have come, and now we have grandchildren, and sometimes I still find myself staring at her and thinking she has in some fashion become so much more beautiful with each passing year. And when I say things like that to her, Kathy smiles and tells me that she's so happy that as I'm growing older, my eyesight is failing. Well, perhaps, but marriage where there's love is a rather remarkable thing. I have come to believe that it really is not based upon feelings at all, although I would never say that feelings are insignificant or not important. But true love is based upon something far more significant. It's based upon a settled conviction that to love the other is to honor God. It's based upon an inner persuasion that to love one another is right and good and is in keeping with God's purposes. That's because every marriage encounters moments when the other seems, well, less than beautiful. I've noticed that every couple who has been married for at least 10 years has lived long enough to sin against each other, inflicting harm on one another. But when the basis of love is not emotion, but based upon what is right and glorifying to God, when to love the other is the fulfillment of God's plan for us, then love becomes an expression of our surrender to Christ. It means to forgive the other, to embrace the other, to understand and listen to the other, to thank God for the other, and to see the other as an opportunity to practice living out the life of Christ. Like plants growing in a fertile soil, so love must have a basis upon which it can grow. And the basis can never be emotion. The basis must include purity and faithfulness to God and sacrifice and integrity and righteousness. I say all these things because I want us to notice how Ruth and Boaz move toward marriage. Their pathway seems most strange to our culture because we don't see in this story the romance that might make up contemporary stories about love. It does appear to us that parts of this story seems a bit, well, on the edge when Boaz wakes up in his grain pile in the middle of the night because his legs are cold and to his surprise he finds a beautiful young woman who smells real nice laying at his feet. But that's where our story departs from modern depictions of love. In a modern movie, the two would have talked and no doubt have had sexual relations, but that's definitely not what happens here. Let's follow the storyline. I'm reading Ruth chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Well, let's unpack that. First, would you notice that Ruth does not lie at his side, but at his feet? She's clearly demonstrating that she has something other than an illicit sexual affair in mind. And second, as we've noticed last week, she calls herself his servant, using the Hebrew word for servant that indicates that she can rise to become his wife. And third, she speaks very frankly about what she wants. 
Naomi, her mother-in-law, counseled her at this moment to say nothing more, to wait to see what Boaz might say. But Ruth is rather straightforward. She says, spread your wings over your servant. Now, the translation wings, as is found in the English Standard Version that I'm using, is often translated as, spread the corner of your garment over me. I think we all understand that the word wings and to share your blanket with me are very different. One can seem like somewhat of a sexually laden request, and the other seems like an almost incomprehensible request. I mean, what would it mean for Boaz to spread his wings over her? But I want you to notice that the word the ESV translates as wings is the exact same word that Boaz once used to describe Ruth. In Ruth 2 verse 12, Boaz says, The Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. It's also quite interesting that Boaz and Ruth's great-grandson, King David, would often write about the wings of God. For instance, in Psalm 17, verse 8, David writes to God, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Or in Psalm 36, verse 7, David writes, How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Or in Psalm 57, verse 1, David would write, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. In each one of these cases, the idea of wings are the idea of protection. It's an image of a young bird in the time of storm hiding under the wing of its mother, finding that the mother is bearing the brunt of the storm on behalf of the other. Boaz saw that as a fit image of what Ruth had done when she had converted to the God of Israel. And on that night on the threshing floor, Ruth asks for Boaz's protection. And then she says, why? You're my kinsman redeemer, she says. If you fulfill the biblical role of my protector, then marry me according to the Mosaic law of liverite marriage, where a man can marry the widow of his deceased relative and then redeem his ancestral land and bear children that will be credited to the dead relative. In fact, that was Ruth's intent. She did not come seeking romance. She came to him asking that he fulfill the role of a kinsman redeemer, that he play the role of God's divinely appointed man, and that he be like God to her and rescue her from her distress. In reality, this is a marriage proposal, but it is so much more. It is a request that he be God's vessel of grace to her. But how would he respond? Up to this moment, he has made no mention of the possibility that he would take this role. Ruth is being bold, and it is possible that he would flatly refuse her. And so in the middle of the night, dark and unable to see him, she lies at his feet waiting for his answer. And verse 10 contains his response. And he says, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, as I've said before, if this is a love story, it is indeed a strange one. Why? Well, in fact, let me notice four things. First, he calls her by the title with which he has addressed her before. My daughter, he says. He has always been mindful that he is old enough to be her father. And it now becomes quite apparent why he never stepped forward to be her redeemer. He was older, and he did not know what she desired. It had seemed inappropriate for him. Secondly, notice that Boaz has noticed that Ruth has not run after younger men. There were younger men who might have been interested in her, whom she could have married, some of whom were rich, and she could have been fine. 
Thirdly, the reason she didn't was because Ruth was committed to her mother-in-law. In fact, Ruth had made an oath to Naomi, and she had kept that oath and wouldn't leave Naomi in the lurch. I wonder if it was hard to keep that oath when younger men were interested in her. Psalm 15 speaks of the person whom the Lord favors and says that this one is one who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Now Boaz adds a fourth thing. He thinks that the reason Ruth, this beautiful young woman, is lying at the older man's feet is an act of kindness to her mother-in-law. Ruth knows that this is the only way that Naomi can be cared for, and that's why she's there. (laughs) I told you you wouldn't like this love story. Now you might say, But who's to say that Ruth hasn't fallen in love with Boaz? Exactly. Who's to say? But one thing is clear. Boaz is overwhelmed by the faithfulness to God and to Naomi that he finds with the young woman who's lying at his feet. Now let's read verse 11. Boaz is still speaking. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you what you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman." Now, do you see those last two words, worthy woman? In the Hebrew, he says, you're a woman of Chayil. Now, let me contrast that to Ruth 2 verse 1, where Boaz is described as a worthy man, a man of Chayil. You'll remember that I used that word to describe Boaz as a man of courage, probably a decorated war veteran, a man of wealth, and a man of righteousness and of integrity. Everyone addressed Boaz that way, for that's what he was. And that night, when everything could have gone wrong, when Boaz might have misunderstood all of Ruth's intention, he tells her in an instant why he never doubted for a second why she was there. She was a woman of the same character as he was. She was a noble warrior who fought for her mother-in-law. She was a woman of noble character, and the wealth he saw in her was the wealth of faith in the God of Israel. Staring at her in that darkened night, he said, I know that you are my spiritual equal. And when we come back, we'll explore that matter further. When we come back, Dr. Neufeld will show us how the story of Ruth and Boaz gives us practical insight into what it means to truly love another person and be loved the way God intends. There are few countries with so much ministry potential, and yet the challenges are many as well. This is one of the reasons why Back to the Bible Canada has embraced a partnership with Back to the Bible India to have our Bible teaching programs once again aired in India. Progress for this purpose is going well. The studios in India are in the midst of being refurbished and re-equipped, and arrangements for airing a daily English broadcast with Dr. Neufeld are underway, with both Hindi and Telugu broadcasts planned for the near future. Your gifts to make all this possible are critical, so please continue to give generously. All you need to do is call us today and let us know you want to support the India Project at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425 or donate online at backtothebible.ca. Now let's go back to the Bible with Dr. John Neufeld. Boaz has just accepted Ruth's marriage proposal based not on romantic love, but on the basis of the law of Liverite marriage, where Ruth would make sure that Naomi, her mother-in-law, was cared for. And it is here that I see the full blooming of true love. 
And just when you think that they might express their feelings now for each other, that the music would begin and the lighting on the set would reveal the love in their faces, well, nothing. Let's read verses 12 to 13. Boaz is still speaking. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight. And in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. I hope you don't miss this. Boaz is a man of character, and he would never marry Ruth, even though he might admire her and even love her, if it were not in keeping with the revealed will of God. If the law of God forbade him from her, he would never take her, but he would give her to another. Now, I don't know about you, but this, in my opinion, is a great love story, for in this chapter we learn about the fertile soil where love can truly grow. And one of those places is purity. Psalm 24, verses 3 to 4 says, Who will ascend the hill of the Lord, and who will stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. You know, today's love stories are all shrouded with sexual uncleanness so that sex is no longer a celebration of love reaching its maturity in a lifelong commitment of marriage, but rather it's the result of people who cannot control their lower nature. It was the late Dr. Ellen Bloom, who was professor of literature or English literature at the University of Chicago, who wrote that a generation has emerged who understand none of the great romances of history. The man who sees her from afar, whose heart is engaged by her noble character, who waits, who longs, and then love slowly begins to flower. Writes Professor Bloom, today's students have been in and out of bed so often they no longer understand the literature they read. Well, the Bible's clear. Purity is demanded by God. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. To be pure means that there are no unclean elements in our lives. Let me give you a little hint of a virtue that I keep in my life. I have, for most of my life, worked around women, and I often compliment them on excellent service, on good results. In fact, I look for success. But I will never compliment a woman on her hair, on her clothing, or her appearance, or anything like that. I want there never to be misunderstanding. You can't have real love, not the real thing, without purity. And when I come home to Kathy, she is the one I call beautiful. I want her to know that. Secondly, there is another ground for love, and it's called faithfulness. Faithfulness basically means that we keep the things we have promised to do. When we swear to our hurt, we do not change. When the Word of God holds us to a standard, we don't deviate. You see that these kinds of values build friendships. When friends are faithful in all things, they end up being faithful to each other. And that's why illicit relationships never make it. If we cheat on our spouse, don't be surprised that others cheat on us. If we make a commitment not to have sex before marriage and then break it, we might find that we will break the taboo again after we're married. Faithfulness is fertile soil for love because with faithfulness comes the firm ground of trust. Another soil, sacrifice. Do you see that Boaz would not break the Old Testament law to marry Ruth even though he wanted to? In fact, it has been said that you never know whether or not you obey God until he asks you to do something that you desperately do not wish to do. How many a young woman has reasoned in her heart, I can win this young man to the Lord, even though Scripture is clear, I should not be yoked to an unbeliever. When we will not sacrifice around those things, our faith is a matter of convenience, and so is our love. 
What do you think happens when the one you love is sick or in a wheelchair, has Alzheimer's, or has lost everything? Sacrifice is the foundation of love. And then there's integrity. Both Ruth and Boaz recognize virtue in each other. And then finally, righteousness. Both are committed to acting in such a way that everyone could see that God is glorified. Let me explain that by reading the rest of the chapter. It says, So she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. And so she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? And then she told her, for he had said to her, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how that matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. There's so much in that paragraph. But please notice that the reason Boaz insists that Ruth leave early so that their conversation and plans which were righteous would not turn around and cause disgrace to either one of them or to the name of their Lord. You see, Christians not only care about doing what's right, we care just as deeply that our lives are a testimony of what is right. By the way, I have often counseled with couples who say they're living together out of economic necessity. And I have heard couples say that in this they do not have relations. Well, two things. First, I don't believe them. And second, this attitude does not carry with it the concern for righteousness, and it surely does not carry with it the idea of chayil, a man or woman of character who will go to battle for the cause of the Lord. Well, in the end of that amazing conversation, Ruth goes home, carrying with her some extra grain that Boaz has given her as a pledge of his word to care for her. And I want to end this chapter by becoming practical. I call this lessons for people who want to be lovers, and there are really two of them. Now, whether or not you're married, all of us are called upon to be lovers. We are called to love as Christ loved us. We remember that Christ, our kinsman redeemer, lived a life of faithfulness and purity to God, and that he sacrificed himself to become our redeemer, and he is our example in all things whether that love happens in marriage or outside of it. So I thought about two lessons that we should learn from this passage. Here's the first of them. Take hope. Dumb choices don't negate God's faithfulness. Whatever Ruth chapter 3 is for you, it is surely not a template for how to get a man or woman to marry us. What started out as poor counsel from Naomi ends with a glorious saga of faithfulness. Let's make application. Some of us have been not only dumb, but sinful when it comes to love. And some of us are married for all the wrong human reasons. But dumb choices don't negate God's faithfulness. For where sin is great, grace is greater. Where our actions are foolish, God's grace can bring wisdom. And where we have freely chosen things that are unwise and even sinful, God sovereignly can work even those things for his glory. After all, Ruth is the story of the providential acts of a loving God. Take hope. And here's the second lesson. Strength of character always outperforms strength of feelings. I'm reminded of the contemporary love song that says, I want you, I need you, I can't live without you. And many of us feel the same way about that car or that house or the things that we have had our eyes on. And then we purchase it and we find out, hey, we really can live without it. See, feelings are unstable. 
a godly character produced in a man or a woman who has learned to walk in the Spirit makes one loving for a lifetime. That's stable. Now, how about you? Are you a lover? And do you want to be? And are you willing to pay the price to be what God wants to make of you? Because when God does it in you, you will learn what it is to love as he has loved you. Heavenly Father, thank you for the love story that we find in our Bible. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for a man and a woman who have modeled for us what it means to be faithful to God in their lives. Thank you that although this story was written so long ago, it still speaks so powerfully to us today and shows us how we might live as well. Thank you again, O Lord, for this lesson. In Jesus' name, amen. John, thanks so much for the message today. It has been a real challenging one. And you know, I have three children of my own, uh, uh, all in their 20s now. But as I look back, you know, they really struggled with this whole idea of romantic love and and how to pursue love. And, and you know, the world tells us so many things and engages us in so many different ways. It gets confusing. How would you uh, give counsel to the Christian young person today? might surprise the Christian young person that I was actually young myself one day. Um, But I, I do know that one of the things that makes an individual exceptionally attractive is a sense of satisfaction in who they are. So I would say to the person who would like to find a mate, I would simply say, become satisfied in the Lord your God. If God gives you a mate or if he doesn't, be satisfied in him. And there's something so overwhelmingly attractive of the person who says, I'm not needy but I am satisfied in my God. And that's what my counsel would be. Find your fullness in Christ. So you're looking for a confidence in who God has created you to be, a pursuit after God and allowing him to control the rest. Yeah, I think that's what we need. And I think once we have gained that, we can also learn that within the context of that to begin to put all of our desires in their proper order. I mean, I know none of us are going to be perfect at this, but we're going to learn this. And if we learn it for a lifetime, God will be much at work in our lives. A great message. Thanks so much, John. And we look forward to learning more tomorrow on Back to the Bible Canada. Whether you're currently in a relationship or not, to love and to be loved is such an integral part of who we are as God's creation. From the example of Ruth and Boaz, we can see a picture of how God wants us to pursue love, love that is not based on emotions, but on our character. I hope that this message has blessed you in your walk with Christ and given you conviction and hope in your relationships. We all need a reminder to be better lovers, both when it comes to loving God and our significant others. Join us tomorrow as we continue to walk through the book of Ruth in chapter 4 with Dr. John Newfeld. Just a reminder that this month we're issuing our August and September edition of Truth in Life magazine. This issue will focus on culture. The shifting sands of culture always have direct implications for God's people and for the church at large. So how do we live in a society which increasingly embraces values and lifestyles contrary to those reflected in Scripture? How do we live out our Christian experience and how do we continue to share the truth of God's Word to those who would seem to be opposed? All of this and much more in this issue of Truth and Life magazine. So make sure to ask for your free subscription of Truth and Life today. 
to receive your Truth in Life or to make a donation to the ongoing ministry of Back to the Bible Canada, call us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425. Or sign up online at backtothebible.ca.